You're listening to the Alliance Specialty Podcast, dedicated to insurance and risk management solutions and trends shaping the market today. Welcome to another episode of the Alliance Specialty Podcast. My name is Bobby Horn. I'm the co-practice leader in the cyber division of the Alliance Management Professional Solutions Group. With me today is George Glass and Keith Wojcik from Kroll. George Glass leads the applied intelligence team that manages the NBR platform. He's going to be providing us with some detailed information on the importance of privileged access management tools. George, Keith, nice to have you. Hey, nice to be here, Bobby. Thank you. Great to meet you, Bobby. Great to have you both. George, to start off, the first question is, what exactly is privileged access management, and what is the importance of it to to insurers? Sure. Privileged access management is an overarching suite of ideas whereby you are trying to control the amount of privilege or access that certain accounts or users have. And really, the main goal of it is to try and give these accounts, users, service tokens, the very least amount of privilege as possible uh, in order to do their job or run an application effectively. And the reason it's so important is if a threat actor was to uh, breach an environment, um, steal some tokens, fish a user, you really want to provide that particular adversary with the least amount of lateral movement capability or access as possible. So that means if you have an account with very little privilege, um, just enough to do that particular job, ideally you are containing that threat actor to that one particular account. It can't elevate those privileges to an administrator account and that actor is essentially stuck in that particular account. They can't move laterally. That's great. It's a really good overview. We've seen more on more on the underwriting side for our clients, a lot more questions around having a PAM tool in place, and more specifically, the amount of accounts that, that users have with respect to domain admin privileges within an IT environment. Can you talk about, you know, I guess when you have more the domain admin accounts with privilege, what's the concern there, right? Obviously, more users with domain admin privileges, more susceptibility to, to an attack? Yes, absolutely. That's precisely the goal of many ransomware actors. Uh, when they uh, get initial access into an environment, what they're looking for is the keys to the kingdom, the domain administrator account. From their lateral movement to a domain controller and the propagation of ransomware from that particular location. Domain administrator account can do all of those things very, very easily. And that's exactly what we've seen threat actors do for, for years now. In addition to that, even if we sort of take a step back from a, a domain administrator account and just have a, a more broadly privileged account that has access to other areas, from there, more credentials are probably forthcoming to a particular threat actor. Say there's a service account that can access the cloud. Okay, well, all of a sudden, the threat actor can access your cloud environment. Um, so it's very important to keep those accounts separate and maintain very rigid controls in when those accounts are used. You know, some accounts really should just be used as a break glass protocol for when some uh, specific patching work needs to be done, for example. And again, the access to those accounts needs to be very strictly controlled. Yeah, it, it's funny. So, you know, we talk about the, the PAM accounts and looking at access, you know, access is everything, right? It's going to, it's going to, you know, tell you if you can get into a certain area, you know, grab credit, grab whatever. And it could be for an authorized purpose, you know, whatever for, you know, a managed user. And then secondly, it could be if it's a, looking for on a threat actor side, you could look at an insider threat actor that, you know, just maybe a disgruntled employee or, or whatever it is, but also 
one of the things that yeah, I want to make sure is, is addressed here is, you know, the PAM tool is great, right? It, it really does uh, limit access and, and really hones in and audits what's going on. But another aspect is, and, you know, we may get into this later, is, is updates. You know, even if you have a, a PAM account, you have this access um, going in there. If you don't have that uh, particular software updated, there is, I mean, I've seen in the wild where, you know, they, they go and they breach that and they're able to access your entire network because there's a, there's a critical update. We've had cases where they gain access into that and they're able to move everywhere uh, because of what it contains and what, what the account is. So, you know, understanding that, you know, even if you have this tool in place that that patching, almost like, like George was talking about the patching itself also includes the, the, the software of the PAM too. So, you know, it's just interesting that there's always this caveat to, to make sure everything is up to date, you know, to include, you know, your, your PAM accounts too. So I just want to add a little bit of color to that because, you know, we do see all kinds of access um, with these threat actors. So, so creative and you're not, you're not dealing with your average person here when it comes to these threat actors. You're, you're dealing with some, some very sophisticated people that are looking for any way in and to include, you know, exploiting whatever type of software you have. That's a good point. So even if you do have a, a mature privileged access management tool in place, without updating the software behind all that, it, it can, you know, doesn't really matter. We have seen clients, you know, when we when we have an application process, right, they'll come back that they have hundreds of domain admin accounts. And a lot of times they don't even understand the kind of the breadth of what they have in place. And when we do a little more digging, especially after having conversations with underwriters, they're able to actually lower that number to some, in most cases, into single digits. Can you talk about, uh, I guess, maybe some of the different types of accounts, the different types of service accounts that are in place and, and like how, how you're able to actually narrow that number down to a, a much smaller number, especially that's something more favorable to the underwriters? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll take that one. So there are a number of different ways that an organization may choose to, to set up their account. In my opinion, domain administrator accounts are really the, the most highly privileged and should be used in application rollouts, patching, and in, in break glass scenarios where there's an emergency or, or something needs to happen very quickly. Those particular accounts should be the most stringently controlled and have you know, requisite logging to understand when those accounts are being provisioned, if new ones are created or deleted. Moving back down the scale, there are opportunities to deploy maybe service accounts. Those are typically used for applications, services to interact with each other, those sorts of things. Just because those accounts may not be used by a person does not mean that they're not highly privileged. So again, those applications need the requisite logging to understand what those accounts are doing, understand if there are strange behaviors, something out of the ordinary, because a threat actor can become that service and control that application. Uh, if they so wish. And then what we, we see quite often is uh, local administrator accounts administer a, a particular endpoint to allow users to install software. And again, this is you know typical for sort of engineering functions, uh, developer functions, and, and things like that. That's a great point. So it, clearly, it's, it's important to understand kind of what your exposure is to your service accounts. We have heard that rarely, or in some cases, I had one owner tell me that there's never been a ransomware attack that did not involve an overprivileged service account. Is that any truth to us, George, in your experience? I'd certainly say that that is the first thing that a, a threat actor will, will move to, to look for. We've seen firsthand accounts of, of these things happening through our IR work. We've seen threat actors playbooks where, you know, that is the first thing that they try to do is move to try and find a 
very highly privileged account. And, and they do that in a, in a whole raft of ways. It can be as simple as looking through uh, documents and Excel spreadsheets on the, on the machine itself. Or it could be something uh, like using a local administrative account to move laterally to another machine or to log into a file share where, okay, all of a sudden there's credentials here for a confluence. And on that confluence instance, there are all of the other accounts that you need. You know, there's any number of ways they could do it. They could do it through a vulnerability. But the majority of things I've seen, they typically do involve some amount of overly privileged accounts, yes. It's good to know that my underwriters aren't telling me uh, telling me any lies. So we we talked a little bit right about best practices on the threat actor side, right? They they kind of have their ways of getting in your network. What are the benefits of having a PAM tool in place, and what are some best practices that you know, aren't sure should be on the lookout for? For me, it's it's a lot about separating the responsibilities of the account in such a way where it, compromising one doesn't mean you, you can skip eight steps of the the, the cyber kill chain and, and you're at domain administrator level. In addition to that, tools like this can help you prepare for a breach as well in such a way that you can start at a, a very low privileged user, someone that, that doesn't need an awful lot of access, they're, they're mainly using office tools, that they don't need to install applications on their machine, that you could map that user to other accounts or, or maybe ways of escalating privilege that could potentially lead to a domain-wide compromise. And that's very, very difficult without these sorts of tools. You'd have to do an, an awful lot of legwork just to get the information you need in such a way that you could do that sort of analysis without a tool. Interesting. And, you know, I guess I should ask the next question is, how difficult is it to implement a PAM tool? And as I said earlier, more and more underwriting is focused on on these types of controls. And, and certainly more and more carriers are saying, you know, without a PAM tool, they're not able to underwrite the risk. How, how difficult or, or how easy is it to, to get a PAM tool in place? Well, I'll, I'll give you my best consultant answer, and, and that is, that depends. Uh, it, <laughs> it, it, it depends on, on the amount of account, the type of work that you're doing, and the type of access that your users typically need. It's a very complicated process, and that's exactly why these tools exist. And there are some tools, like certain EDR products, that have some level of access management built into them, where you can do some of the analysis that I was talking about earlier and enforce some of the controls. And then, you know, there are entire suites of privileged access management tooling that can do everything from the, the local accounts through to email and SaaS products as well. So you can really scale it to what your business or organization needs. But in, in a lot of cases, the amount of complexity will also lead to, obviously, a, a greater deployment time as well. Well, thank you, George. I do appreciate that level of, of insight there. And Keith, as well, for your commentary. With that, I think I think that, that takes care of our conversation today with around privileged access management. I'd like to thank George Glass and, and Keith Wojcik again from Kroll for your time today. We certainly hope that the information today you've been provided with is, is informative. For more information, visit us at www.alliant.com. And we look forward to speaking to you again on the next episode of the Alliant Specialty Podcast.